Hey, Caleb, welcome to the show. Thanks, Trevor, for having me. Cool, man. So let's chat a little bit about just how you got started. What what opened your eye to real estate and how did you first get started in it? So the way I got started was through my parents and not because they were wealthy by any means, but because they were actually the the opposite. Um, they, they had day jobs and I saw my mom um, go to a job that she didn't like. And I couldn't see myself doing that for 20, 30 years, right? And I think that even got exacerbated more when I was around 18, 19 years old and my mom had surgery and her plan was to recover and heal, take a three-month sabbatical from work, live off of her savings. And at the end of three months, she'd be ready and fully recovered to be able to go back to work. And so she was going to live off of her savings and she didn't have any other recurring revenue at that time. And Trevor, at the end of three months, she realized that she wasn't healed properly, but she was stuck between two hard options. One being she could go back to work and get some income coming in from working, but she go through a lot of pain uh, because she wasn't healed all the way. Or she could stay home and continue to live off of her savings. But uh, since that was her nest egg, she would be prolonging retirement maybe one or two years. And she made the decision to go back to work. And I would see her come home in tears, crying, because she was in so much physical pain. And that really made me upset, you know, and I wanted to help her financially uh, be able to retire early. And also to, I didn't want that for myself. You know, I didn't want to be stuck in a position where I didn't have money or income coming in. Um, and I was forced to go back to work or forced to do something that I didn't want to do when I was at an age where I, I should be able to smell the roses a little bit. So um, that was kind of the motivation. And I started in, in residential real estate with a fourplex and just went from there. That is uh, not an uncommon story, unfortunately, right? Like people that just live to work, like they like you said it, you know, like getting healed just to go back to work. And that's the beautiful thing about real estate is it can absolutely like avoid that, you know, give you as much time as you need. How did you, how did you get into your first fourplex? Did you buy it yourself, uh, like primary residence or how that, like house hack? Yep, that's exactly right. So a house hack and a fourplex in a C minus area. Um, learned a lot on that deal, and you know through mentorship, um, it was my first deal, so I got in very low with low capital needed, but it was a great learning opportunity. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. I mean, that's that is one of the best ways to get started in real estate. Did you use what, FHA or? On that? Yeah, FHA, so, three and a half down. Three and a half down. And were your tenants paying your mortgage? They were. After I did have to kick a couple out, um, a drug dealer and a hoarder, <laughs> and raise rents a little bit until we were uh, just breaking even. And then after some time, yeah, it, said, it started cash flowing within about 12 months. And you were, you were living there the whole time in one of the units. I was. So you, you, were, you had three units paying the entirety of the mortgage. And you, you got to live for free. That's right. That's cool, man. So what was the, you know, uh, did you depart after 12 months and, and, and put a four tenant in? Like, how did you progress from there? 
So I actually, um, I had a roommate as well. So they were two bed, one baths and I had a roommate. So that was a little, about another $600 a month on top of it. And, uh, I moved out of that probably after a year and a half. Uh, I replicated that and did a, a duplex house hack as well. And, you know, sold the fourplex through a 1031 and put that capital towards a retail facility. I did a flip and that was all about in about a three year time period where I was really focused and honed in on, on residential. But Trevor, from there, I got around some apartment investors and my philosophy and thinking up until that point was that I would gain as much experience in residential as I could do as much as I could learn as much as I could and network as much as I could. And then I could translate a lot of those, a lot of that knowledge and skill into commercial because I knew that was kind of where I would go eventually on the apartment side. But around that three-year mark, I got around some apartment investors and they really showed me just how completely different residential is from commercial real estate. And no matter how much knowledge or experience I had in residential, I couldn't translate all of that into commercial. And there would be a time where I would just have to start investing in commercial real estate and I would be green regardless of how much experience I had in residential. And I made that transition around three years where now today we focus on apartment complexes, uh, larger commercial assets. And uh, I still want to be open to other opportunities and be an opportunist. If a fourplex deal comes across my desk, that's really great. And I can take it down um, strategically, then I'll do that. But for the most part, it's commercial apartments. Gotcha. Okay. No, that's, uh, I mean, that makes sense, right? You know, one location, 500 doors versus 500 locations with a door piece. (laughs) No, Mm -hmm. Um, sounds appealing for sure. Um, And as a short term rental operator, you know, I can attest to the difficulty of not having a consolidated. Uh, address for all of your doors, man. But I'm curious, like you mentioned that, that retail, um, that retail building you get into, man, how'd that go? Well, that, uh, it was a JV. And so sold that, I sold a fourplex and put that capital through a 1031 and deferred the taxes to buy that retail facility. And since it was a joint venture, I was primarily the capital investor going into that. And, um, we invested in an emerging market in between I'm based in Phoenix. And so you have Phoenix, which is on the North side, really hot market. Then you have Tucson, probably two and a half hours away South. That's a secondary market. But in the middle, you have this town called Casa Grande and populations about 50 to 60,000 people. And it's having some great growth. And it's a good kind of town right in the middle uh, as a hub. And so there's not been a lot of revitalization in that city. Um, and there's a huge need for it. There's so many people moving there. And it's it's you're able to live in that city and then maybe drive to, to Phoenix where there's a lot of jobs. And so that's what a lot of people are doing to save on the cost of living in Phoenix. And so there's tons of opportunity there. And we're the first group to go into that market and try to revitalize it. And I'd say the the learning lesson from that has been, I'd rather be a week late than a day early. 
because since we are the first ones in this end of that market, uh, that one day being early has turned into 18 months until, and we haven't signed any leases on that. I still see potential in that property and think it, it will cash flow eventually, but that's just taking longer than I had thought. And so nothing against retail. I think that's a great asset class. Just a learning lesson for me was I'd rather be a late, a, a week late than a day early. Man, I hear that. Oh, that resonate that resonates with me completely. Um, I'm actually I'm actually real familiar with Casa Grande. I used to I grew up in Arizona, and so I used to go. There's like a arena there in Casa Grande, um, right right off the highway, right off the ten there. Um, you I think can, so? Yeah, yeah. You can see it as you drive by. And my parents are equestrian, so they, we used to travel there a lot for um, for stuff that they did. And I, I remember there's, and I drive through there all the time whenever I go visit. So there's this, uh, there's kind of like this, this strip, right? Like a strip mall um, that's also right off the highway, which is really the only, uh, and I feel like over the years I noticed it kind of, it like popped up and it was like, it seemed really kind of bustling and then maybe it died down a bit. Um, did, did I see that right? Is that about what happened over there? Yeah, I think especially on that, that, corridor you drive down that main interstate and there's so many people that drive down that so it gets ton a, a ton of views tons of traffic but now if it's the same strip mall that I'm thinking of it's completely vacant so uh, it's available to lease they have the signs up some of them are boarded up but it's completely vacant and so what you have to do is you where the city is, you drive off that exit, drive 15 minutes west, and then you get into the main city of Casa Grande. Um, but yeah, so it is, there are sections that I've noticed that have done well and they continue to grow. Industrial is a sector that's really growing there, but like that little strip mall, it's just, uh, challenging. And I don't know why that failed exactly, but it's, it's definitely interesting. It really is because, yeah, that town is just it's it's you're right. It is like an hour to either Phoenix or Tucson. You could you could commute to a job from from either of it. Maybe this both cities haven't quite grown completely close enough yet to where it's mm-hmm. mostly it's still rural. And there's a lot of farms around there, too. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah we uh, the, the, the saying's always been that Tucson and Phoenix will enter like they'll meet. Eventually. They'll touch. Yeah. Right, and Casa Grande is kind of right there, so yeah. maybe that'll happen in 200 years as long as we still have water. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah. So <laughs> maybe maybe sooner, man. I don't know. We'll see. Well, that's. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you you know kind of shared that um, that story with. So you know, thanks, man. So let's get back to to multifamily. So tell us about your. So you you know you decide you're going to get an apartment. So how'd that go? How'd your how'd your first one go? The first one was you know, starting in commercial took longer than I had thought as usual. And I had thought that I would raise capital because I had been building all uh, of this network for the last three years and networking so much. And turned out when I had that opportunity, that first one, nobody wanted to invest. And so that was kind of eye opening. Uh, so then I, I pivoted towards finding the deal and then bringing that deal to someone that had the experience, the track work, the track record, the net worth, and uh, the capital investors that could partner on that deal. And so that was kind of my strategy going forward because starting off with low capital, low resources, I can underwrite all day long. 
Uh, I can have conversations with brokers. And so I can wear that hat and then just bring the deal to someone that can get it done with me. And then that's how I can get a sliver of the GP. Right on. So did you, um, how long did it take you then from, I mean, you know, it was after three years that you decided you, you wanted to get into apartments, right? So you went through this process of, you know, finding out raising money is harder than it sounds. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you just like, well, let me provide value by, um, just finding good deals for people that can raise money. You know, um, how long did it take you to get that, to get that first, you know, kind of first GP partnership lined up with that, with a deal you found? Well, I, the first deal was 16 units in Oklahoma city. And that was a joint venture that we raised maybe 300,000 on. And, um, the capital raise on that was more challenging because it was just me as more of the asset manager. Uh, but then for my first GP, it probably took me, uh, maybe nine months to a year to actually find that deal. And it was, uh, in New Mexico, which is not a really up and coming. Well, it is up and coming, but it's not a very competitive market. And I think that was a good advantage for us, especially in 2021, 2022, we bought that in 2022. And so a very hot market. And I think that helped us, uh, actually find and and get that done. So nine months of just calling brokers, just scanning LoopNet, I imagine, and just just nine months of working full time without pay, just looking for that deal. Is that about how it went? That about sums it up. <laughs> that's the you know, it's kind of that's the that's the game, right? Like to you know the the ability to retire early is there if you're willing to work for free for a long time and provide value without getting anything back immediately like you do with a job where you clock in and clock out you know exactly. i think that's the biggest thing people don't realize how did you how did you do it though you know like were you were you also working or what was how, how did you how did you do it yeah so i actually during COVID, it was COVID was perfect timing because we were all working from home. And my, at the, at the time I was very blessed to have a job where I was pretty much getting paid and not having to do a lot of work because my boss wouldn't give me a lot of work to do. And so I had a great opportunity to call these brokers and start building these relationships while I was at home and working at the same time. And so if you, I think if someone can be creative and figure out how to do that, you know, just figure out how to actually put in the work, right? We all have busy lives. We're all busy or think that we're busy. And so finding out how you can get it done um, and asking yourself how, I think a lot of people, they can get stuck on, well, I can't do this. I didn't have the background that Caleb had or that Trevor had. And so how, like, what am I going to do? But when you start asking yourself, how can I get this done? That is when your mind can actually start to think and process. And so Trevor, for me, that's, that's what happened. I was able to call these brokers at home um, and then find that first deal. And then probably that was October of 2021. And then I left my day job in June of 2022. I was able to leave my job uh, because I had sold my last house hack made about 50 to $60,000. And so 
that was my seed money to start my business. That's awesome, man. That is, uh, and you're so on point, right? It's, it's not, it's not, can you do it? Right. It's just how, you know, finding an excuse is just a, a reason to stop thinking, you know, and, and instead of just figuring it out, cause there is whatever situation you're in, there is someone in a worse situation that figured it out or someone that exactly. was in a worse situation and figured it out, you know? So that's so true. So what are you working on now, man? What's your, uh, are you taking something down right now? Or are you back just back on the hunt looking for the next deal? Well, we're back on the hunt. We have five assets in the Midwest. And so we're also expanding into the Southeast. And so that's one thing that's top of mind for me is now I'm, really doing what I did three years ago in the Midwest, finding these brokers and these, these connections. I'm starting to do that in the Southeast as well. So that's top of mind. And in addition to that, I'm also expanding out the capital raising side of my business. Uh, that, that means finding what my avatar is and, and helping them achieve what they want, uh, passive returns through real estate investments and, um, to, to help with that, I'm launching a webinar that's going to be about once a month, similar to a meetup, but we'll really talk about uh, how to invest passively, how to invest actively, if that's something of interest to people, and to really just provide value and share what has worked for me and be a resource to others. Because whenever you're willing to help others, even if it's it might take away from your business, if you're just in the, the people business and helping others you're going to go a lot farther than trying to, to hold on to your resources and, and not share those. Man, hundred percent agree. You know, the more open of a book you are, right? Like I'll, I'll tell anyone that comes to me, everything I'm doing. Fact of the matter is I've been building this for years now. So like, if you think you can replicate it overnight, that would be awesome. Good luck. I would, yeah, like yeah. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna Go watch you do that and learn from you. But at the end of the day, you know, like most people will then come to the realization that like this person has built something that like I don't have the time or capacity to build, so I'm just gonna work with them. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. That's usually what it gets to, man. That's uh, you got a really good like bootstrap story, man. That's uh, that's so cool. And you're like you're doing all the. Uh, there's some strings I want to pull on there for people listening to this that are like thinking of of how to get in here and like some, some gold nuggets is obviously just like kind of grit and, you know, house hacking right there that you can get into a fourplex so cheaply with an FHA loan and, you know, great way to launch your real estate career. Um, but now you're at this stage where you're, you know, you're using other people's money and you mentioned, um, you know, like you're, you're doing these webinars, you're just trying to provide, uh, value to people, right? You're, you're, and you, you mentioned an avatar. So if you could just kind of like expand on this, like, what do you mean by avatar and what is your approach to getting in front of them and showing them that you have value to provide? Yeah, that's a great question. And Trevor, you and I, uh, are familiar with the same mastermind group raise masters, and they really talk about that avatar. And so the avatar is, if me, Caleb, I want to speak to one certain audience, if I can connect with one group of people that are my ideal clients, who would that be? And because if I can speak their language and uh, tell the story that they can resonate with, 
then that's going to be a lot easier than uh, me trying just to go to everybody. And uh, a, a story, someone I know that does that very well, he is a, a flight, he, he flies planes, he's a pilot, and his his niche is to pilots, right? The one who passively invests. And so he's that guy because now when anyone thinks who's a pilot, they type up pilots that passively invest. He's the only guy doing that. And so, right, he's going to get all of the pilots flocking to him. But what's interesting about that is if he did a survey of his clients and only 5% of those clients were pilots. And so still 95, just because you niche down doesn't mean that you're going to turn everyone else off from your company. You're still going to get a lot of people looking at your company, but now all those people that are pilots are going to look towards you. And for me, what my avatar is, is residential real estate investors that want to invest in apartments. Because I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people that they might own a couple residential properties, a couple rentals, flips, short-term rentals, and they want to scale up to apartments. And that's exactly my story, right? I did that for three years. I tasted a little bit of everything from flips to uh, long-term rentals. And then I scaled up to apartments because I saw that's where the scalability, the scale of economy was, and it just made more sense. And so if I can speak to those individuals and one, maybe teach them to do what I do, right? Because I, I love helping other people. And so if I can help them on their journey and point them in the right path, then great, praise God. And if I can also show them how much work it's going to be, right? You might be doing this for a couple of years and you will still have a day job and grinding it out until you get that one deal. And so it might be showing them that side of it. And they would rather, they have 50 grand they want to put towards a rental, but they see the opportunity with actually owning real estate through tax benefits where you actually own the property compared to crowdfunding or a REIT. And they see the value in that. And so they would rather just invest with me because that's the system that I built out. And that's the avatar that we're marketing to. Yeah. And that's, the, that's a, that's a good path too, right? Um, just fire hosing them with information and then, you know, handing them a, a towel while they're dripping wet. That is like, I just do this for you. <laughs> that's yeah. kind of the way <laughs> I think of it, man. How are you getting, how are you driving people to your webinars? The, the big way now is actually through Instagram. And so for the last year, I'd say I've been following people that like people that I follow. So an example is Beardy Brandon, Brandon Turner, who used to be the host of Bigger Pockets. His following on Instagram is over 300,000. And if someone likes his post, usually he gets about 1,500 people. I will go in and follow them with the hope that they'll follow me back. And if they do follow me back, I send them a little message, me personally. So whenever I have five minutes, you know, just throughout the day, eating food or whatever that looks like, that's what I'll do. And just having organic conversations with people. And the intent is to share with them that I'm providing this webinar and that they can invest in apartments. And that's where a lot of warm, solid leads are coming from 
and it's uh, it's been one of the biggest drivers for us. That's awesome, man. I'm going to have to um, maybe steal some of your scripts from you later because that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I bet I've been having a pretty good um, webinar um, system myself. That's uh, very different, but it's been working well. I've been getting like 10, 20 people um, per webinar by just scraping. I've just been scraping them out of, uh, and my avatar is a little different than yours. I just been scraping them out of, uh, LinkedIn, right. Set up a scraping tool and then I invite them through Eventbrite, And then I also drop into their, their Facebook feed. Um, and so very, very cold, but then as soon as they attend my webinar, then, then there's a way for me to kind of, uh, get into their DM, into their email naturally and, and start having more organic conversations. So, um, I've been trying to figure out, uh, an Instagram kind of hack. Uh, and so I really, I really like that, man. I really appreciate you saying that we, we should do some, uh, some trading and we can both double the size of our webinars by doing both yeah. things, you know, I'd like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool, man. So if someone want, if someone is in, you know, that they've got some, and I really like that you're, you're targeting people that are already investors, man. There's so much, it's so nice to work with people that already are investing. So you're not taking them through this process, this learning process, like to get them from nothing. Like they have a mutual fund all the way to multifamily syndications, right? Like you got such a smaller gap to get people, right? So that's, that's super cool, man, that you're doing that. If, if someone is, you know, kind of wants to work with you, right? They want to take that leap from um, getting, you know, out of or transitioning from their residential investments, their long-term rentals, their flipping business, right? That and, and into these much larger, grander scale um, projects, um, and and do it in a passive way to where they don't have to, you know, go through a this whole new learning curve. Um, how do they do that? How do what is the best way to uh, to get in touch with you? Yeah, yeah. Um, there, I'd say there's three ways. And the first one is they can go to redseacapitalgroup.com and you can actually book a call with me directly to my calendar there. Uh, the second way is through our podcast. Go ahead and tune into our podcast, which is called From Trial to Triumph. And uh, three is if you just want to text me or call me, at, my phone number is 480-463-0954. That's the fastest way to get a hold of me. Is text better than calling? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll pick up my phone too if I don't know the number most of the time, but texting is usually easiest. Right on. Awesome. Well, Caleb, man, I really uh, appreciate you coming on and just dropping a ton of gold nuggets, dude. And I hope you give some people some in- inspiration. You can start from anywhere. Um, it's It's been a pleasure having you on, man, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, seeing what you do over the next com- the coming years, man. The pleasure is all mine, brother. Really appreciate you having me. Uh, It was really a pleasure.